Welcome to the Succeeding Over All Roadblocks LifeCast, a show about self-discovery and vibrating higher in every area of your life. Each week, I'll have conversations with some of my favorite people who are soaring over life's challenges. They'll share their struggles, but more importantly, the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Keisha Whitaker, entrepreneur and transformational speaker. Let's get ready to soar. In this episode, I'm talking with a special guest who has made her health her wealth and is helping others to do the same. My good friend, Almetria Turner, is joining me to share the story of how her relationship with food from an early age led to obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. She decided to make a change, losing 177 pounds naturally through proper diet and exercise, and found her calling to help others through health and wellness. As she began to inspire others, she launched Fit and Finally Free, a lifestyle fitness and weight management company that provides personal training along with lifestyle and wellness coaching. Since that time, Almitra has become an international influencer, an author, and a brand ambassador. She has been featured on The Today Show, in Women's Running Magazine, Red Book Magazine, TBN, Yahoo Health, The Huffington Post, The Daily Mail UK, CNN, and even was a finalist in Nashville during the nationwide search for season nine of MasterChef. She is living out her purpose and soaring in the process. Please welcome my celebrity friend, Almetria Turner. Hey, Almetria. Hey, Keisha girl. How are you, honey? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. And I'm just so glad to have you on and talk about this journey and how you've been soaring. Let's tell the people how we met. Um, We met back in 2015. One of my sorority sisters was working at the trustee's office where you were working. And she asked me to come and address your employees doing, um, I guess it was maybe a wellness challenge. And so I came to speak to you guys as far as telling about my weight loss story and how they too can live a better life through just changing their lifestyle goals. And we started just chatting and found out we had so much in common. Like we both went to the University of Memphis together. We're both from Memphis. We went there around the same time. We both majored in journalism and studied public relations. And I mean, it was just so many things we had in common that it was like, how did we not meet sooner? And it was like, why? Yeah, I feel like I've known you forever. It's not like I just met you a few years ago. Yeah. And the weird part about it, when I was in the journalism program, I never saw that many African-Americans within it. I just knew of two other girls that was with me. And so during that particular moment in the country, especially at the University of Memphis, there wasn't that many African-Americans represented just in, in broadcasting, advertising, magazine or public relations. So I'm wondering how we missed each other, too. Right, right. But I'm so glad we found each other. Yes. <laughs> and I'm excited. I'm excited for all that you're doing. It's great that we were able to connect. And I'm so glad you came on to tell your story. And can you just tell us a little bit about what was going on in your life at that time? Like, what was your highest weight? 
My highest weight that I can remember as far as that was recorded was 342 pounds. Were you the kind of person that were you always overweight or did it happen as a result of something emotional or something that was going on with you? What was it like for you growing up? No, I came out the womb overweight. (laughs) I only weighed about six pounds as a baby. But honestly, I've been overweight my entire life. I was a chubby kid in kindergarten. I wore the pretty pluses from Sears. And, you know, even in high school, um, one summer, I remember doing Denise Austin videos eating all the lean cuisines, I might have lost a couple of pounds, but they came right back on because I didn't do it the healthy way. And so in high school, I was over 200, 250 pounds. And by the time I graduated college, I was 342. Because at least in college, you know, I was like walking from, you know, dorm to dorm or my classes. So I still maintained the 250 range. But then once you graduate and you get into the workforce, you get a little bit lazier and the weight just came on. So I ended up being, like I said, almost 350 pounds. Okay. So you think it was more just the habits that you had that were impacting the weight gain? Or I should say the lack thereof was very sedentary. I didn't exercise at all whatsoever. And I ate whatever. I grew up in a household where we had soul food every single day. We didn't celebrate holidays traditionally, you know, as far as like Thanksgiving or Sunday's dinner or Christmas. That was a holiday every day. So for instance, if my family wanted turkey and dressing on a Wednesday, we made turkey and dressing, baked macaroni and cheese, you know, sweet potatoes, cornbread, neck bones. So we ate like that every single day. And so I didn't know as far as when I came home from school, having say like a snack to get me over until dinner. Dinner was already done at three o'clock. So I was eating a full fledged meal at three. So of course you're going to get hungry a couple hours later instead of getting a snack. I got leftovers. So I got a whole nother plate. Wow. So, okay. so that's how it really was as far as just growing up. I didn't know about the Pop-Tarts or a bowl of cereal. I was eating bacon, eggs, toast, fried green tomatoes, leftover, you know, fried chicken with pear and apple preserves. So I was eating full fledged meals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so by me eating that way and eating so many calories as far as it being fat laden and calorie laden and processed and not, you know, going outside and playing because I grew up in Orange Mound. And I grew up on a major street. And so across the street from me was like a grocery store. Um, it was a little gas station and there was a motorcycle club. They literally had like a club and it was black motorcyclists that was across the street from me. So I didn't have like neighbors where I can go and visit and play up and down the street. So I had to stay in my yard and play if I decided to go outside. But I was one of those, you know, prissy little girls where I didn't want to get my knees dirty or or get tanned or anything like that. So I stayed in the house with my grandmother drinking lemonade, watching soap operas. So I was one of those prissy little girls. And so considering I didn't have that type of physical activity, the weight just, you know, continued to to build up. And you said that went on well after college and into your when you started your career and all that, right? Correct. You know, I had gym memberships, but I would never go. And I continued eating that way. So even when I coach people now, you have to plant the seeds early in your children. So whatever habits that you have as far as cooking or lack thereof, 
they're going to grow up into adulthood, you know, carrying on those same habits. And that's what I did. So how I saw my grandmother and my mother cooked, I end up cooking that way as a young um, woman. So I was cooking chicken and dressing and baked macaroni cheese and all of that, you know, on a weekday and would have that for leftovers throughout the week. And I know how to cook for a single person. I was cooking the family style meals. So it's like I always had, you know, abundance of food and I was the type of person where I didn't want to waste anything. So I ate it all. Yeah, I could see that. And it's just like you said, it was the way you were raised. It, it was the way it was. And so you just adopted that into your adult life. And so I totally get that. You know, I was the opposite. I was super bony, super skinny, tried to eat all I could eat, got teased mercilessly for being too skinny. And it was a struggle that way, too. So it's, it's weird that either you're too you're too big or you're too small. It's a problem yeah. for people. And so what do you think was going on with you emotionally? Because some people have they may be an emotional eater. Or there may be, you know, what was there something else going on with you that you may have felt like I need to go to food or this was your comfort or something like that? Or it was just it was just the family way. Well, it's a combination of, of both. It was the family way. And I was an emotional eater because I was the only child for almost like five or six years until my sister came. But honestly, I didn't want her either when she <laughs> she did come because I knew it was going to be all over, you know, it, it being just about me. Truth be told, I've always felt as if I was cut from a different cloth. I was always different or misunderstood. So I really didn't have a lot of friends. And so I think I turned to food as a way of comfort. And my mother was a single parent. And I grew up with my mother and my grandmother, and my grandfather, until my sister came along. And so I had older grandparents. And then with my mother working, it was just really me. So I think I also turned to food because of me not really having a great relationship with my mom as far as wanting her to be my friend or spend that quality time with me. Um, it wasn't until I became an adult that I learned that my love language languages were quality time and words of affirmation. So I was that type of child where I would just jump through hoop after hoop after hoop trying to be validated, I guess, as far as with my mom, as far as getting the straight A's, never get into trouble. Like, look at me. Are you proud of me? And when I didn't get that, I guess I just turned towards food as that comfort. And that can, you know, still can carry it into adulthood too, unless you really address it. And so I think that was really the reason why I, I did turn to food because I liked it. The food was good. My my people were great cooks. But then, like I said, it provided comfort for me to fill the voids in which I was seeking. And that was like, you know, validation from my mom and also really just being accepted by people as far as my peers, as far as kids. OK. And then when did you start to experience maybe some health issues as it relates to the diet and and weight. It wasn't until after college, I was in my early 20s that I developed high blood pressure. And it wasn't until I was about 36 that I found out I was diabetic. I remember standing in my mother's yard talking to my niece's father and I wasn't feeling well. And the next thing I know, I literally hit the ground face forward and I woke up looking up at the sky at him and I didn't know what happened. 
And something told me is I go to the doctor because every time I would go to the doctor and get a checkup, I will always pray, Lord, let me not have diabetes. And it wasn't until this particular time that prayer wasn't answered and I I end up having it. And so here I am living with two chronic illnesses because with with high blood pressure, I'm like, okay, you can just pop a pill. They'll be okay. But with diabetes, I knew it was more serious for the simple fact that my grandmother had passed away from diabetes. But growing up, I didn't know she was diabetic because, you know, we talked about having the sugar, but I didn't associate sugar with diabetes, nor not not watching her, you know, take her blue pill every morning or drinking her diet tabs while she was eating her peach cobbler and ice cream and cottage cheese and whatever else that she ate. So it was never something that was addressed in my household that with me being overweight that I need to lose the weight because I could develop this illness. And so, like I said, she passed away from diabetes and I just knew the complications that came along with it. Luckily, it didn't get to the point where she had any amputations, but she was experiencing some blindness. And, you know, she, we, we will visit her and sometimes we'll find her in the middle of the floor. And we're thinking it's only because she was fragile because she was like in her eighties, but she was really having many strokes from the diabetes. And so that's what ended up happening to her. I was in graduate school about to graduate. She was in the hospital the week of graduation. The medicine in which they were giving her was actually causing internal bleeding. And so she ended up passing away from the complications of diabetes. And so with me knowing the complications as far as the blindness, the amputations, hair loss, and possibly being on kidney dialysis, that was something that I did not want to experience. So I knew I had to do something about it. Was it like the turning point for you then? Or when did you say, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired? Well, it took me probably a year because I was in denial. I want to say this was 2010. I had to go to four different specialists. I had to see a cardiologist because they saw fluid around my heart. I went to a pulmonary specialist because they thought they saw some type of nodules in my lungs. I had to do a sleep study and they wanted to make sure I didn't have sleep apnea. I went to an endocrinologist because they saw what they thought was a tumor on my adrenal gland and I had to get an MRI done and I acted a complete fool for the simple fact that I'm claustrophobic. And so I had the option of going to do a closed versus a open MRI um, scan. And I chose the closed one because it would get better imaging. And it literally took them probably four hours to get all the, the images they needed for the simple fact that it took them seven times to find my veins. I have small rolling veins. And then they slid me in, had my arms above my head. They had a covering over my eyes. And just the noise of the room between in between the images, I really just couldn't take it. And with me being so heavy, I thought I literally was going to get stuck in there. And so it wasn't until I got the results back from the endocrinologist that I think it was the aha moment for the simple fact that I was taking metformin at the time and I had to give myself insulin that particular weekend because the medicine was going to react with the barium in which I had to drink in order to get the imaging. So when I went to the endocrinologist, he said that luckily it wasn't a tumor that was on my adrenal gland, but it was a fatty tissue. I was so overweight, the fat that was inside of my body was attaching itself to my organs. 
Mm. And so I think that was really the turning point for me that I was like, you know, for one, like I said, I didn't want the kid to um, go through kidney dialysis or have any type of heart attacks or stroke because I'm very independent. I can't imagine someone having to take care of me in that way. And then it's like, can you give yourself shots for the rest of your life? It's one thing as far as you sticking your fingers, checking your blood sugar, which still hurt. It's another thing as far as you having to give yourself shots. And so I think that was a turning point. It's like you're 36 years old. You have, you know, so much more to give as far as the rest of your life. Do you want to constantly have to fight for your life? And, you know, like I said, having to be on kidnap dialysis, losing hair, possibly any type of, you know, your toes or your fingers. And I just didn't want to live like that. So that was really the turning point, having to go to all of those doctors and having no room within my body. Um, as far as, like I said, the fat, it was it was taken over. Mm-hmm. So what was the first step for you? Because I find even now when it's time for me to work, to go to the gym, like I have, I used to be an athlete, do all that. And now it's like, I'm so tired of running. I ran enough in my life. <laughs> and so it's like, once I get it in my mind to do it, I can go do it. But then I start to burn out and lose focus and, and all of that kind of stuff. So what was the first step for you to say, okay, you have it in your mind. Like I can't continue like this. What was the first thing you did? Well, for one, I'm just, I've always been the type of person, whenever I set a goal, I stick to it. I'm my own worst critic. I'm a perfectionist and I know this. And so if I said I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And because I don't want to fail and I don't want other people to see me fail. So my goal was to be fit by 40. So I wrote down a mantra as, as far as giving myself four years to lose this weight. And so honestly, I sought out some accountability partners and no one wanted to do it with me. And I had to realize this was a personal journey that I had to take on my own. Just because you want to change at this particular season in your life doesn't mean other people want to do so too. Therefore, you know, this is a me and God thing. And so I just remember um, just going on like, I guess what you can call nature walks. Like I said, I led a sedentary lifestyle. So this was all brand new to me, you know, just even walking from, say, my car to the grocery store's doors, you know, I would be out of breath or or taking steps going up some steps. So I would start like in my neighborhood where, you know, if I could get like a 15 minute walk in, if I can get from a pole to a pole, a tree to a tree. And I would just try to add on, you know, daily as far as just a little bit further, you know, as far as my walking goal. And I remember listening to Bishop Walker from um, Mount Zion, Nashville. I will listen to his Tuesday um, messages as well as his Sunday sermons, you know, usually a couple of days later. And I will call in as far as listening to his 7 a.m. prayer call on Tuesdays too, just to really see me through as far as giving me the encouragement in which I needed. And so it wasn't until after my wellness journey, and honestly, I'm still on the journey. It's never over because like I said, each day you have to choose to do and make the right decisions in terms of eating and exercise because you'll never always be motivated. But if you have the discipline and the consistency of changing your mindset towards exercise and and food, you can continue, continue on your journey. 
And so it wasn't until then that, you know, that's where I, I, I made the turning points, like get up every day and do something, learn how to eat better as far as having or finding healthier substitutes. I knew I couldn't eat soul food every single day anymore. I knew I had to actually start reading my labels as far as on the back of boxes and packaging. I knew I actually had to start practicing portion control because usually, you know, growing up, you just get a big old spoon, not the potty, you put it on your plate. And, you know, you try to find the biggest piece of chicken as opposed to, okay, now you have a digital scale, you weigh out five ounces of chicken, or you can eyeball a half a cup of rice and, you know, or a cup of vegetables or whatever. And you know, you have to have your protein. You have to have a complex carb, a healthy fat, a non-starchy vegetable on your plate, as opposed to three carbs on the plate and wherever else that you want it. And so I had to, like I said, change my outlook as far as the way in which I ate, as well as the exercises in which I was doing. I had to find an exercise that I love doing because I didn't want exercise to be a chore. I wanted it to be something that I actually enjoyed doing and realizing the benefits of it. And so walking turn into jogging and jogging turning into doing my first 5k in 2014 and my first half marathon at the end of 2014. So once from 2010 to 2014, I met my goal weight. My next goal was to complete a half marathon before I turned 40. And I did, it was the first week of December at St. Jude. I did my first half marathon and I turned 40 December 22nd in 2014. So you you said that you had to change that mindset. You went from just taking one step to walk from pole to pole or tree to tree to doing a half marathon. And that's a testament to your willpower and your strength to say, I can't continue to live like this and I want to live and I have more to live for. And so what was the next step after that? Well, it's like you have to find your why. My why was to not be on medication anymore and to be able to sustain my lifestyle. So, like I said, I had to change the way I had to eat. I went from, it's like, if you can do a half marathon, you can do a marathon. And I have. From doing a marathon, you can do a 200-mile relay with 11 other people. I've done two where I ran from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Nashville in 31 hours. And I ran from Madison, Wisconsin to Chicago, Illinois in 36 with 11 other people. So it's like every time I achieved a goal, I wrote a new goal. And so from that, I was taking classes at a gym and I had some instructors that inspired me to the point it's like, you can teach other people too. So I started getting certified in different genres of ex of fitness that, you know, I wanted to make myself one marketable. And then two, I wanted to have a total body workout as far as just the certifications. So I'm certified in personal training, group exercise, Pilates, bar, core and functional fitness, chair yoga, senior fitness, running, and I'm the only African-American race director that's certified in the state of Tennessee. I guess you can say I'm the Black Martha Stewart of health and fitness. (laughs) 
because I'm also certified in nutrition too, as well as congregational health promotion and I'm a first aid responder in terms of adults and youth. So I'm whole, I believe in holistic wellness. So not only can I counsel you as far as seeing that you might have a mental breakdown because obesity is a mental illness too. Because a lot of people feel that people are, you know, obese because, you know, they just love food. But it's it's an illness as well because some people have body um, dysmorphia. Some people have eating disorders. Some people, like I said, they are emotional eaters to the point where you've seen my 600 pound, you know, life. And if you ever watch their stories, they're not overweight because they just have a love of food. It's something that has occurred to them in their lives. That's a trauma that has happened. Yeah. And that's why I asked you, was there something emotional or a trauma that you may have experienced that possibly impacted that? And that that's, a, that's the exact reason I asked that question. Yeah. So it wasn't necessarily like a physical trauma, but I think it was anything more so emotional as far as the validation or not having the validation of my mom and just being alone or feeling alone all the time. Therefore, food became my comfort. It was my friend. It didn't talk back to me. It loved me at that particular time. It didn't love my body, obviously. But I think that was really why I turned towards that because I was alone. Because even with me having older grandparents, it wasn't as if they can go outside and play with me. And with my mother working all the time, she wasn't really there. So I think that was why I turned towards food at that particular moment. And then, like I said, just not having friends in school and feeling that I was always different. Right. Back to what you were just saying prior to that as far as the certifications and having and you know, how obesity is is an illness. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you can become overweight if you're taking like steroids or some type of medicine or if you used to be a smoker and now you're eating. Um, people feel voids with food sometimes. It might be alcohol, it might be sex, it might be drugs. As far as with food, like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a mental illness that um, people have to address and have to get to the root of the cause as to why they're overweight. Because like I said, with people being emotional eaters, it's usually something has happened, say that particular day that triggered them or they're stressed, they might be eating, they might be bored, they start you know, turns towards food. Even with celebrations, if you sit there and think about it here in Memphis, a baby shower, bridal shower, job promotion, just because because with your girlfriends, you're going to go and eat. When you are sad, there's a funeral, you know, you have a repast, you're going to eat. So our lives are just really centered around food instead of food being sustenance is used as a reward or as a comfort. And then on top of that, the it's the same kind of food that you just mentioned. The baked macaroni and cheese, the black eyed peas, the cornbread, the all of the soul food staples at all of these types of events, too. It's not, you know, something that's a little bit more healthy or palatable. It's, it's it's the good stuff. Yes, because even when I was going through my certification with the congregational health promotion, meaning going into faith based organizations, I would talk to pastors and their health ministries you know, stating that, you know, when you have your pastor appreciation days or your repasses, 
you don't always have to have the fried chicken and the spaghetti with a slice of pie and pound cake and a sweet tea. You can have baked chicken. You can have salads. You can have other healthier alternatives as opposed to the canned green beans and the canned corn or whatnot, or going to Walmart and getting the 50 piece fried chicken. So as members of the church, we have the spiritual body, but we're not feeding the physical body. And so even in the Bible, it says your body is a temple and we're not treating it, you know, as if, you know, we need to take care of the house that we're in, however long that we're going to live here. That's an excellent point because you talked about how, People turn to food for different reasons. Talk about how you started fit and finally free and the type of clientele that you have. And are people struggling with that when they come to you? I started it. Honestly, I didn't even know I had planted the seed. It wasn't until I started seeing some Facebook memories where I used to hashtag fit and free. And so I think I was on my wellness journey and I was just like I said, planting the seeds and it wasn't until I was attending church and I was a part of this connect group of mothers and entrepreneurs. I'm not a mother, but I am an entrepreneur. And the um, leader was a friend of mine, a soror of yours. And we would meet and talk about, you know, motherhood and entrepreneurship. And if you were both. And I remember staying after one of the meetings and I was telling, you know, about this idea that I had as far as like starting a blog, because since this was such a personal you know, journey for me, I really didn't want to really share any pictures because I didn't take any pictures along the way because I didn't think nothing of it. Truth be told, because like I said, it was, it was just between me and God. And so they told me I should go for it. And so God was just really tugging on my heart. And honestly, I was feeling um guilt because he said how dare you sit on the blessing of you being free from diabetes and hypertension because like I said I wasn't taking any medicine anymore when there's so many more people who share your same story thinking they can't overcome chronic illnesses who think they can't get off of medication and here I am where I have done that for you I've healed you you need to go out and speak to the masses. And so my previous pastor, I remember having a a sit down with him and he told me I should journal, you know, sometimes. And once I walked out of his office, I was like, I'm not going to do that. But the simple fact that to me journaling, when you read back upon it, it shows the pain that you were in, but you can also read back upon it to see how far you've come. And so it wasn't until December of 2014, I literally sat on my couch, it seems like for three weeks where I was trying to get my thoughts together in terms of, you know, doing this blog. And everyone knows in January, you know, new year, new you. And this when all the weight loss companies come out, you know, because people want to lose weight and have all these new year resolutions. So I made it a point to make sure that my blog was up and running January 1st of 2015. And, you know, it 
came to me is, you know, your blog is going to be called Fit and Finally Free. So like I said, little did I know that hashtag from years ago, as far as fit and free, will become fit and finally free. Finally, meaning I was free of the emotional, the spiritual, the physical, and the mental weight that I was carrying upon my body and my spirit and in my soul. I say, not only am I physically fit, I'm also free of all those things that was weighing me down. And so that is how the name came about as far as my blog and the doors just start opening as far as with Kroger being the first one saying, we want you to be um, an ambassador of ours because they had taken notice of some of the food posts in which I was posting as far as, you know, what I was eating as far as along my journey. And so God was like, I was just waiting on you. It's like, if you were to trust me into doing what I ask you to do, you will see the world. And so one of my favorite quotes is from Proverbs eighteen sixteen. It's like your gifts will make room for you and will usher you into the presence of great men. And so my pain has become my purpose. And now my purpose has become my platform where my gift is making room for me, where people all across the world now you know, is hearing about my story as far as how they too can become fit and finally free. As we reflect back on all of this, what were the top three lessons that you probably pulled out of this that may help other people? The first one is your purpose is greater than your challenges because what you're going through is not necessarily about you. So throughout my life, I never knew as far as my morbid obesity would be, you know, the conduit as far as where I am today in helping other people overcome their obesity, overcome their emotional eating and their sedentary lifestyles. And even though I gear majority of my business towards health and wellness, I even, you know, coach people as far as how they to pivot in their career or, you know, how to get out and enjoy life socially because we are made up of our experiences and we have to put eggs in all those baskets and not in just one basket. So it's like, do you have your work life together? What about your family and your social? What about your spirit? What about the health and the wellness? It's like, you know, I asked the tough questions in order to get to the root. And so in order to get to the root, we have to go through, you know, the weeds, cut those down to cut to the root so it can grow back into something that's beautiful. So my first thing was, you know, your purpose has to be greater than your challenges. The second thing is you have to meet yourself where you are and not what you used to be or where you used to be. Because a lot of people try to jump in head first thinking that, you know, okay, last year I could run a marathon, but I haven't, you know, trained in a year. So you think you're going to go out and run 26 miles the next day. That's not the case. Where are you today? And you have to give yourself grace in that because like I said, we're constantly evolving. We're, we're never the same. And honestly, you should be improving and becoming better, but sometimes life happens and it throws, you know, obstacles in your way that would set you off course, but you have to get back on the course and start where you are and just keep moving forward. So that's number two. 
And number three was you can't carry out your purpose alone. You have to have purpose partners. I'm a very strong, independent person. I have a hard time asking for help, let alone delegating. And so I know as far as with me carrying out my purpose, I need to have a tribe to help me to do so and actually be okay with it as far as if they don't do it in the way in which I would do or say in which I would say, but knowing that they're sincere, they're in my corner, they're in my circle, they're rooting for me, they're going to call me out when I'm wrong. You know, you have to have those purpose partners in order to sit there and fulfill what it is that God has for your life. You cannot do it alone. So I had to become, you know, vulnerable where I can allow people in because I'm so used to being the person that gives. I'm the, also the person that's hard to receive when people genuinely want to be there for me. So I had to learn as far as to let people in. Okay. I love it. Those are some very great takeaways from this, this conversation. I think what I really wanted to come out of this was those type of lessons. I mean, that is so valuable for anyone that is dealing with a roadblock. I always say you can't get to the fruit until you get to the root. And it is so true. Like you have to go back and really evaluate what is that thing that's hindering me and look at yourself and say, I have to cut this out. I have to cut this part out so that, like you said, it can regrow the right way. So I love all of your tips, your information, your story. I'm so glad you came on to share it with me and just tell people where they can find you. They can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Fit and Finally Free, or you can follow my blog at www.fitandfinallyfree.com. Um, so all my list of services are on there. My contact information. I am available for virtual um, speaking engagements, cooking demonstrations, personal training, lifestyle and wellness coaching. If like I said, you want to pivot in your career, start a business, eat healthier. You don't necessarily have to be overweight. Some people just need to eat healthier, period. So I help people with that. Um, if you want to learn how to meal prep, I can teach you how to meal prep too. I'm available for quite a few things, like I said, in the health and wellness and business area. Well, I just want to thank you again for taking the time into come on my first season. I'm so excited to have uh, so many great friends that are going to be on. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. I'm so excited for you. I wish you well as far as in this new endeavor. I know you're going to reach quite a few people. I'm inspired by you stepping out to start this podcast because I feel as if this is a blessing and will be a blessing to you as well as to so many other people. Because like I said, you're going to reach the masses as far as sharing stories that are heard and unheard um, that people, like I said, really need to hear. Yeah, people need to know you, boo. That's all I can say. They need to know you. And I'm, I feel blessed to have these people in my life. And I just want to share, share my friends with the world and make some, make some people happy, change some lives and, and, and just make sure that we're all growing together. And so if you out there listening, want to get in touch with Almetria, I'll have her information also, you know, online on my website and anywhere you can find the podcast or information will be available. And if you have a roadblock that you're dealing with, please reach out and share it with us on social media or email and just let us know 
because we all go through things. We all have something that we're dealing with. And so, as Amitria said, there are times where you have to have your tribe. You have to have your people that are there to listen and to help you and to give you that encouragement and motivation and push you when you don't feel like going. And so we can do that. We can do that. So join our community and join our tribe. And um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Succeeding Over All Roadblocks Lifecast. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Soar Lifecast for more tips and motivation. You can also email questions to soarlifecast at gmail.com. Be sure to catch new episodes every week and leave a review of the show. Until then, keep soaring. <laughs>